Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from one of our pastors. All right. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Austin Cooper, and I am the outreach and connection pastor here at Greenwood Baptist Church. And today we are going to continue in our series in the book of Acts, and we are going to study Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. And what we're going to see in this passage is two different apostles, one being named James, one being named Peter. They are both arrested. James is put to death while Peter is miraculously saved. And we're going to kind of study why that happened. And so we're going to look at three questions today. Number one, why did James die? Number two, why was Peter saved? And number three, why the hope for heaven matters. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, we'll start in verse 1 and 2. And if you'll please stand with me in honor of reading of God's word. This is what Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says. It says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. May God add blessing to his word. You may be seated. And so this isn't the most encouraging verse that we've ever started off with here at Greenwood Baptist Church. Like, I'm not picturing you guys driving home and you turn to your spouse and you say, hey, what was particularly encouraging about the sermon today? I can't imagine one of you guys saying, I think it was the sword part, you know, one of the first two verses. And so (laughs) it is a little bit of a strange start, but I do want to cover this because it becomes extremely important that James died because of who James was. And so who was James? The truth is, is there is a lot of Jameses in the New Testament, and so it kind of gets a little bit confusing. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we started a a house church several years ago um, in a different area uh, with mainly unbelievers. And to kind of understand where they were spiritually, we would get them to answer a question at the beginning of our Bible studies. And that question was, if you could ask God any question you wanted, what would you ask him? And the answers kind of ranged everything from sentimentality all the way to anger. I mean, we had, I would ask God to tell my grandma one more thing that I loved her very much, and I'm so sorry I did that thing, to anger. I would ask God why he took my dog Skippy when I was only five years old. And my question was, God, why are there so many Jameses and Marys in the New Testament? Like, it gets extremely confusing. And so who is this James that died in Acts chapter 12? Well, there are about three prominent Jameses in the New Testament. Number one, we'll just kind of label normal James. Normal James was just one of Jesus' 12 disciples. We don't hear a ton about him. Uh, The second James is Jesus' half-brother who ends up coming to believe in him. He becomes uh, a leader in the church of Jerusalem, and he also wrote the letter that we call the book of James. And he will be a prominent figure in uh, the future chapters and acts that that we'll cover. So that's James number two, the half-brother of Jesus. James number three, the one that we're talking about here today, he was, as the NLT tells us, John's brother. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, but even more than that, he was in Jesus's what we call kind of inner three disciples. 
And so Jesus had the 12 disciples, but he also had kind of an inner three disciples that he would bring with him to places that maybe he didn't want to bring all 12 disciples to. So we see him bringing the three disciples to the Transfiguration, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and those three disciples were Peter, John, and this James. And so this becomes important because we see that this James was one of the apostles of the church, one of Jesus's main three guys, and him dying here for his faith becomes incredible validation to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that our entire faith, the very foundation of the Christian faith, rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He says if Jesus did not raise, even if he died on the cross, but he did not raise from the dead, then we would still all be in our sins and that we should be pitied amongst the entire earth. We should be the people that are pitied the entire, uh, out of the entire earth. We should be the most pitied if Jesus did not raise from the dead. And so because the resurrection is the central foundation to the Christian faith, it has been attacked throughout the centuries. And one of the main attacks is the, uh, the argument that unbelievers have that they assume that the disciples stole the body of Jesus and or just made up the resurrection altogether. But here we have James, one of the three main disciples of Jesus, someone who would have eaten with Jesus after he resurrected, someone who would have laughed with Jesus after he resurrected, someone who would have talked with Jesus after he resurrected, someone who would have physically touched the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ after he resurrected. We have him dying for his faith in the resurrection. And this becomes important because although we have seen other people die, like Stephen, for their faith, James is the first apostle to die for his faith. He is at the very source of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know that religious fanatics all around the world, they will die for their faith. But typically, if it is a false religion, the person that is at the source of the beginning of that religion, they don't die for their faith. They get other people to die for their faith. In fact, most of the sources of false religions, they don't die. Typically, they get a lot of money, they gain authority, and they gain power. But here with James, we see the opposite of that. We see someone that was at the very source of the resurrection saying, yes, I will lay down my life for the truth that Jesus died on a cross, that he will be willing to forgive anyone who accepts him. And he proved that by bodily and physically resurrecting from the grave. And I'm going to give my life for that fact. See, James's death is a valid, or it's a, it's a, it's a bullet through the argument that the disciples made the resurrection up or they stole his body. It validates the resurrection. <clears throat> the second thing I see here in verse 1 and 2 is, is just how quickly the Bible moves on from its quote-unquote main characters. And, and, you know, if you watch the news a lot, you kind of get used to this rhythm a little bit. Like the news will be sharing some sort of tragic fact that happened, and then the very next story is kind of like a lighthearted story. 
Like it'll be like, oh, in the Cincinnati Zoo today, a lion got out and mauled 27 children to death. In other news, Mickey Mouse visited Dallas today. And the Bible, in a different way, is, is, is kind of like that with its main characters. Like, there's not this huge eulogy that happens with its main characters. In fact, David uh, is called a man after God's own heart in the Bible. There are multiple books that are just about David's ministry. Jesus came in the line of David. And you know what David's eulogy basically is? He got sick, he died, he rested with his fathers. Next! And here we have James, like I've talked about, an apostle to the church, an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the main three. He was at the the very source of the resurrection. He is extremely important to church history. And he gets what? Two verses? James was put to death with the sword. Next! The Bible moves on astonishingly quick from people in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And this brings us to a biblical principle that we are incredibly loved and valued by God, but we are also incredibly dispensable when it comes to his mission for the church. That we are incredibly loved and valued by God, but we are also incredibly dispensable when it comes for his mission for the church. I had a friend that worked at another church, and um, he had a a fellow staff member that was on staff at that church, and uh, that guy was extremely gifted. In fact, almost anything that went out from the church, that guy had his fingers in. Uh, Just one of those guys that you just look at, and you're like, man, God has gifted you amazingly. And so my friend was talking to the staff member and another elder of the church, And they were just, you know, shooting the breeze or whatever. And as the staff member kind of walked away, my friend said to the elder, he looked at him, he said, man, I don't know what we'd ever do without that guy. And the elder of the church, without missing a beat, goes, ah, he's replaceable. And he took his big finger and stuck it right in my friend's face. And he said, you know what? So are you. And I heard this story and I was like, man, was that incredibly offensive? And he said, yeah, at first. But then he said it became incredibly comforting because realizing that all of God's mission didn't rest on me was extremely freeing and brought peace to my heart. And he said, I didn't realize how much I, maybe not with my words, but with my actions, thought that this church And what I, my ministry was doing, rested all on me. You see, you are incredibly loved by God, but you are also incredibly dispensable to his overall mission for the church. And although that might be offensive at first, it's incredibly freeing. It's incredibly comforting if you think about it. We are incredibly loved by God, but we are incredibly dispensable to his overall mission for the church. You know, as a leader, my wife and I, we try to lead our teams in this way. We try to let them know, our volunteer teams, we try to let them know, hey, you are incredibly loved. We thank you so much for giving of your time, giving of your resources to serve in the ministry that God has placed over us. We teach this to ourselves as well. 
We let them know that they are loved. We pray with them. We take them out to dinner. We hang out as a team once a quarter. We're in their children's lives. We let them know that they are valued and that they are loved. But what they will never hear us say is, we couldn't do this without you. (laughs) Because that's just not true. And if a leader ever tells you that, (laughs) he's just saying, he or she is just saying a nice kind of thing because it's not true. In fact, I've joked with my leaders that, you know, usually t-shirts of lead teams during volunteer events or whatever, uh, they'll say like, lead or serve. I've always told my leaders, I want to get you a t-shirt that says, this could have been done without me, but it would have been a lot harder, (laughs) right? We are incredibly loved by God, but we are incredibly dispensable to his overall mission. There's a pastor that just passed away and commenting on this burden that we feel if we feel like God's mission rests on us solely, he says this, he says, there is no rest for the weary when you feel like it all rests on you. And what the death of James teaches us is that although he was loved and he was used by God in an incredible way, and he's using many of you, he's using us, he's using our church in incredible ways. But his death teaches us that we are all dispensable in God's overall mission. Our second point is, why was Peter saved? So if James died, why was Peter saved? And we're going to read Acts chapter 12, verse 3 through 8, and skip over to 12 through 16 as well. And this is an account of Peter being saved from prison where uh, James was just killed. And it says, in verse 3, it says, When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Verse 6, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Fastened with two chairs between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. I love this part of the passage because it kind of sounds like a a spouse waking up another spouse that is sleeping too hard. You know, usually you get a flashlight out or you turn on the lights and you kind of, you know, especially if you're the wife, you kind of jab your husband in the side and then they get up and kind of walking around and get your coat on, get your sandals on, follow me. And so this is what's happening to Peter. He was saved by an angel of the Lord. He was saved from prison. And Peter, it goes on to say that he didn't even realize it was happening. He thought it was a dream. And then he came to his senses after the angel leaves, and he's like, I'm free. God saved me. Praise God. I need to go tell the church. And we pick up in verse 12. It says, when Peter realized this, he went to the home of Mary, another Mary in the scriptures, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda By the way, Rhoda, a beautifully unique New Testament name. If you guys want to name your daughter Rhoda or something, that'd be cool. A girl named Rhoda came to open it. Verse 14, 
When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. And so one, one, at the beginning of first chapter 12, we have James being arrested, and he's put to death. And then at, at the, as uh, chapter 12 goes on, we have Peter being arrested, but he's saved. And so why did James die, and why was Peter saved? And for that matter, why do we have, sometimes have believe, two different believers, both obedient to God, both great to their family, one gets a, a disease, the other gets the same disease. One is dead within six months, and the other is miraculously healed. Like, why do these things happen? Well, I researched this passage a lot. I, I actually asked other pastors their opinions. I looked up New Testament commentaries. And here is a, a theological answer I can give you that I, I think will help answer this question, and I think might change your life. Are you ready for it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why God in his sovereignty takes some and leaves others. I don't know why God in his sovereignty uh, has, has pastors die from the same disease that he has miraculously healed some from. I don't know. Traditionally, this passage has been preached that prayer is what made the difference. And without downplaying the power of prayer, because we don't pray enough, prayer is amazingly powerful. But without downplaying that, I don't think that this is the answer alone to why James died and why Peter was saved. Because number one, that kind of assumes that the early church, the pinnacle of spirituality within the church in the world, did not pray for James, one of the apostles, when he was arrested. They only prayed for Peter. You can't, uh, uh, you can't make me think that James was not prayed for by the early church. Secondly, did you catch that these weren't particularly powerful prayers? Like, did you see what happened? The angel, say, or God, through the angel, saves Peter. Peter goes to the house. Rhoda's like, hey, guys, our prayers worked. Peter's at the door, and they're like, no, you're crazy. There's no way that could ever happen. And then Rhoda is like, yes, it happened. And they're like, well, he must be dead already. It must be his angel because there's no way that God saved Peter out of this prison. And so these aren't like particularly powerful prayers here. And third, third I, I think that if we preach that Peter was saved because of prayer and James wasn't, I think it kind of can set up a, a dangerous false principle that we can pray and make God move how we want him to move rather than how he has already chosen to move. You see, prayer doesn't necessarily always make God move, but it always moves our hearts to be okay with how God has chosen to move. You see, prayer doesn't always change. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Some people have put it like this. Prayer doesn't always move mountains, but prayer always moves hearts. You see, we pray ultimately 
to be okay with how God has chosen to move in the world. C.S. Lewis, coming to this realization that he doesn't pray to change God, but he, changes to pray, he prays to change himself, he says this, he says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all of the time. Waking and sleeping, I pray. pray prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. And so why was Peter saved? And James died. I truly think that my answer will always be, I don't know. I don't know, and, and I, I don't think we'll ever know some answers to questions like that until we can ask God ourselves. But I do think that it has something to do with the sovereignty of God and the plan that he has for those that are following him and being obedient to his mission. In March, uh, I got the opportunity with a, a fellow leader, actually Sonny over here, uh, to go to India and to train uh, 100 to 120 pastors in how we do outreach in our community. And it was a wonderful time. We saw God move in a, amazing ways. In fact, one of the cool things that came out of that training is that I, in day one, hit the Bible hard. I hit biblical reasons to do outreach hard. I gave a lot of biblical truths and shared a lot of great stuff. And then I shared a little bit of pictures of you guys serving the community and a little bit of stories of stories that you guys have shared with our church. And after day one, the pastors in India came to me and said, hey, hey, great biblical teaching. Wonderful, wonderful. Can you do less of that and more of sharing the pictures of your people and the stories of your people? That is what really will move our pastors to do this in their community. And so I just wanted to take this time to encourage you guys that how you are serving our community really is making a difference all throughout the world. And so it was an amazing trip. But before the trip happened, Satan was totally getting in my ear. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just be like, oh, I'm awake, you know, I'm just thinking about whatever. And then I would just hear Satan whisper, you're going to die in India. <laughs> the next night, going to get a cup of water. You're going to die in India. Watching my kids play on the playground. This is the last time you're ever going to see your kids play on this playground in India. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> in Texas. My wife, super supportive of the trip. She tells me, hey, I know that you are called to do this. But one day she looked up at me on the couch and said, I have this strange feeling that you might die in India. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you're single, get yourself a woman or, or a man that will tell you, hey, I think you might die, but I am more willing for you. I want you to follow God's call in your life. I would rather you do that than you stay home and be safe. Praise God. I met with another pastor. We were just having lunch just to meet. We weren't even talking about missions in particular. And as we're leaving into the parking lot, <clears throat> He says, what are you doing next week? I said, oh, I'm actually going to India. And his, his face went white. He said, what part? 
I said, I told him the part of India I was going to. He said, okay, okay. Well, I was in a different part, but I went on a mission trip about 20 years ago, and I was kidnapped by a radical Muslim and put in a closet for five days. And so over and over and over again, I was just like, what is happening? And then the cherry on top. Went to Netflix, just trying to find a documentary, came up on the missing flight of Malaysia. I was like, man, I, I've never, did they ever find that flight? I don't know. Let me watch it. Guess where they found it? The Indian Ocean. Over and over again, I'm having anxiety about dying in India. I almost canceled the trip. I'm sorry, son, I didn't tell you any of this. I almost canceled the trip. But then God spoke to me, and he gave me a, a verse through his word that became like a soft pillow to all of my anxiety. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, this is the verse that I feel like God put on my heart. Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi, and he's thanking them and praising God for what God was doing in and through them. And he says in verse 6, and he says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so what Paul is saying to them, to the church overall, and to the individuals in this, is that nothing can happen to them until God's mission is through with them. That nothing and no one can touch you until the work that God has started in you, which if you have come to know Jesus Christ, God started a work with you immediately. And through the Holy Spirit has gifted you in a wonderful way that the church, although you are dispensable, we need you and we want you to be used in that way. And he has started a good work in you. And you cannot be touched until that work is finished. You see, although we are dispensable in God's mission, the beautiful thing is, is he has gifted us and wants to use us in his mission. And he won't let anything happen to us until his mission is through. And so did this guarantee I was not going to die in India? Absolutely not. But did this guarantee that I could go with confidence that God would save every single part of me until he was through with me? Yes, it did. And that gave me a peace and a confidence that I have never felt before. And so why did James die and Peter get saved? Well, it's because I believe that James's work was done. And God still had a plan for Peter for years and years and years. But even with that, do you know what James heard when he died? When he went into the arms of Jesus Christ himself, he heard, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you know what Peter heard when he died 20 years after Acts 12 and church history tells us that he was crucified upside down on a cross? Do you know what he heard in the arms of Jesus? Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know what you will hear and I will hear when we die if we know Christ? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You see, all of us, if we know Jesus, we are all called to serve God. And whether that is five days or 75 years, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, what I see in Acts chapter 12, it's not about prayer. Acts chapter 12 is not about giftedness. Acts chapter 12 is not even about obedience of the apostles. I see Acts chapter 12 being about the sovereignty or the control or the power of God over the ones that are following him. Acts chapter 12 is about the sovereignty of God. This brings us to our third and last point, why the hope for heaven matters. You know, there's a fictitious story of two women that were both hired to do a menial job. They were uh, asked to do this job, which was to put a, a block that was labeled A into a bucket that was labeled A, and then a block that was labeled B into a bucket that was labeled B. And so the first woman was told, hey, at the end of the year, you're going to work 40 hours a week, five days a week for the entire year. And then at the end of the year, you will receive $15,000. The other woman, they didn't know what either made, but the other woman was told, hey, at the end of the year, you will be, you will be uh, given $1 million. And so they go to work at their job, and they start taking their block A and putting it into bucket A and block B into bucket B. And three days in, as you can imagine, extremely boring, menial work, the first woman turns to the second woman. She says, I cannot believe this is my life. This is not worth it. And the other woman, making a million dollars, turns to her and says, I can't believe this is my life. This is incredibly worth it. And this fictitious story is given to show that what we hope for at the end actually enlightens our current sufferings. That what we have to hope for in the end actually helps us in our attitude and also walking through what we are currently walking through here in this life. That the hope for heaven is not just for the future, it also affects the here and now for the, all those that believe in Jesus Christ. And this is what I see all throughout Acts, like Pastor Brian's been preaching. Have you noticed that the church is never too worried? That the believers never get too down and they take sufferings so well? I'm not saying they don't mourn, I'm not saying they don't get sad. But there's a difference between the church and Acts and unbelievers. Paul, in fact, he had such a hope for heaven, and it was so real to him, he actually says, hey, I'd rather be with Christ. I would rather be in heaven right now than be living on this earth. But he tells the church in Philippi, but because of your sake or for your sake and for the sake of God's mission that he has given me, I'm going to remain a little bit longer. <laughs> But he had a hope for heaven, and he walked through awful sufferings with peace and with joy because he knew that Christ was at the end of the journey. You know, I see also in Acts here, as I read, 
Did you notice that, that there was no indication that Peter thought he would be saved? That James was just killed right before this. Peter in most, most likely thought he was going to die. And you know what he's not doing? He's not banging on the bar saying, get me out of here. He's not saying, don't you know who I am? I preach Pentecost. I basically started the church. I'm incredibly important. Get me out of here. No, he's got a peace about him. He's sleeping like a baby. <laughs> the angel had to punch him to wake him up. And this is the pattern that we see all throughout the book of Acts and also with Jesus in the Gospels. I mean, do you remember Jesus? He quietly and confidently, peacefully walked towards the cross. Stephen, in Acts chapter 8, while he was being stoned to death, he didn't pray for his own deliverance. He prayed for those that were stoning him to be able to have the hope for heaven that he had. In the church, when James died, it didn't crumble. It didn't fall apart. The church as a whole, when it was persecuted, when sufferings happened, it only grew and only became more like Christ. You see, the hope for heaven matters because it glorifies God how we live our life now with the hope for heaven in the future. And I have had the opportunity to basically grow up here at Greenwood Baptist Church. I've been a member here since I was 12 years old. And I have seen wonderfully, or wonderful saints used by God in amazing ways, suffering through disease and sickness. And I have seen them pass away and get to be with Jesus. And I can tell you that nothing has grown me more in my faith, and I believe glorified God, more than watching those people walk through awful times in their lives with peace and confidence and always pointing to Jesus. And many of them having joy saying, I cannot be, I cannot wait to be with my Lord and my Savior. See, the hope for heaven matters because God, in his time, will bring all of us to heaven if we know him. And here in this room today, I want to give everyone a chance that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want to give everyone here and watching online an opportunity to accept Christ in their heart, to be forgiven of their sins, and to come into a relationship with him. Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That because of our sins, we are separated from God. But the Bible says that, Jesus, that God loved us so much, even while we were sinners, that he sent his one and only son to this earth to die on a cross. He had no sin, but he died on the cross for the sins of humanity. And he proved that he was God by raising again three days later. And that anyone want, who wants to have this hope for heaven and have their sins forgiven, no matter what you've done, you can have that through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Bible says all you need to do is admit that you are a sinner. 
to be believed that you are, that Jesus is God's son, that he came to this earth, that he died on the cross, and that he rose again. And that see that you confess that Jesus is your Lord. That no longer are you going to live the way you want to live in your sin, but you're going to turn, you're going to repent and go towards Jesus. And he's going to give you the instructions from your life, for your life here on out. And so if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to right here, right now, so if every could, everyone could bow their heads and close their eyes. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you in a model prayer. You can say this prayer uh, exactly how I say it, or you can put it in your own words. But if you want the hope for heaven, and you want Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, pray this prayer with me right now. God, I realize that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But God, I thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to this earth, to die on a cross for my sins, and to come back to life three days later. Jesus, I'm asking that you come into my heart to forgive me of all my sins and to become my savior and my Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just said that prayer today, would you look up at me to indicate that you said that prayer? If you just said that prayer, just make eye contact with me. Okay, I see you. If you're online and you said that prayer as well, there is a a QR code, and if you said that prayer in-house as well, there's a QR code on the screen that you can uh, scan and let us know that, hey, today I prayed to receive Christ. And we don't want anything from you. We're not going to even ask you to join our church, but we want to help you understand what the decision is that you just made and how to follow Christ as his daughter or son in the kingdom of God for the rest of your days. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our church and how you're using it. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.